that Abraham's family was called to be a blessing to the world. And with the full view of Scripture that we now have, we see that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise, that Jesus was the blessing to the nations that came through Abraham. And so now, through Jesus, we become part of the family. In, um, there's a couple of verses that Paul writes about because this is a big theme in Paul's letters to like, show that actually we are now part of God's family. So in Romans 9, it says, this means that it's not children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. And then clearer in Galatians 3, that know then that is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So that through Jesus and through faith in him, we become part of Abraham's family. And what I love about that is then our call is the same. Our call as a family of God is to be a blessing into the nations, knowing that that blessing is Jesus. You know, it's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Make followers of Jesus throughout all the earth, baptizing them, teaching them, Our call is the same as Abraham's call. It's the same call that God has been calling his family to for all of history, through all the Bible. Is that we want you to grow and to flourish and be a light into the nations. So we need to see that this morning, that through Jesus we become part of the family and that we have this calling. Therefore, and here's, you know, touchy topic number one. Being part of the family is not optional. I think so often throughout, in our culture, everything becomes optional, particularly for like us young people. Like we just treat everything as optional. We don't really like to commit to much. And so church family has become something that's optional. But we need to see that actually, you know what, through Jesus, we become part of not just a church family, but like an eternal, global, capital C church family. And that is a massive privilege and it should, it's, it's something that's, that's not optional. Because God doesn't just save us as individuals, but he saves a people. He calls and redeems a people. He's building a church, a family of brothers and sisters who look to Christ as their rock and their foundation. And then you continue it. And then, you know, God also gives this family his Holy Spirit. I mean, think of some of the verses in the New Testament that talk about the Holy Spirit, you know, where two or three are gathered. There I'm with you also. You know, Paul writes to Corinthians, it says, you know, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As in, you collective, you together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, you think of all the language of the New Testament and to encourage one another, to love one another, to serve one another. All the one another verses that you read all throughout We're called time and time again to encourage, to spur one another on, to exhort, to confront, to forgive. You just can't escape this fact that actually we are called to be a family together. And that that is what God has been building, not just from Jesus onward, but throughout the whole Bible. Not just sort of trying to establish a religion of rules and regulations that we follow, but building a family that we live together with under him you know we know the classic saying yeah you can choose your friends but you can't choose your family which is yeah that's true but you know i was liking to think i was thinking about it this week and actually 
It's almost the opposite in, in, in faith in that actually you've been chosen to be part of the family. It's not that you just can't choose your family, but actually it's the opposite. Like you've been chosen to be part of God's church family. Like if we believe that God has saved us and called us and redeemed us by his grace, not by our works, that he's the one that's chosen us. Then it also means that then he's then chosen us to be part of his family. Like, think about that for a moment, that we've been chosen to be part of his family, which means that God sees in you gifts and personalities and passions, stories, experiences, all this. He has, sees your life as important to his family, not just important to him, but also that you've got things to share with other people in God's family to encourage and to grow and to do all those things that he's called us to do. So it's not optional, but here's the thing. I think it should still be exciting because <laughs> sometimes we see commitment and we see sacrifice like we've, you know, we're going to talk about in a minute. We see them as sort of these really hard, not very exciting things, but actually we should see this as a privilege and as something really awesome that we get to be part of a family and that actually we've been chosen to be part of this family. And we need to recognize that being part of the family is is something all mature disciples do. It's one of those key traits because it's where we mature as disciples. Like you think about the family context is where we learn so much of life. You know, you see it in little kids, like that's actually in the family is where they learn, you know, good or bad. They learn their habits and their, you know, mannerisms and different things and kids start mimicking their parents and all this stuff because we learn so much of life within the family. What if, I think it's the same within faith, that actually it's in the faith family, it's in the church family that we learn so much about our spiritual and our faith life. That's actually, this is where we mature and we grow as disciples. You know, for many of us, our physical earthly families are spiritual part of the church family. For many of us, it's not the case. But regardless, we need to recognize that actually this is, the church family that we've been called to and this is where we're going to mature and we grow and we need each other to do that. You can't grow by yourself. You can try, but I don't reckon it will go too well, that we need each other. We need to be encouraged. We need to spur one another on. It's in this family that we'll grow and mature as disciples. But family... It's not easy. I'm sure we can all recognize that in our own lives, that family is far from perfect, that it's not always easy, that it's messy, and that it takes something. It's like Roy was talking about before. It takes sacrifice. You know, we look at Abraham. You know, before God promised to him, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation, he said to him, look, you've got to go. Go, leave your country, leave your father's house, leave everything that you know, everyone that you know, and this is what I'm going to do. You know, I know in my life, the sacrifices that my parents have made to sort of enable me to have, like, I had a pretty crazy, like, childhood, eh? Like, I got to put my feet up on the couch a lot, Uncle Roy. <laughs> I know the kids, you know, high five for whoever's kids do cooking, but that wasn't me. <laughs> 
you know, but my parents are just happy to do everything. Like, they sacrifice so much. And I mean, you talk to their parents and, you know, the same story as, as Tammy, like migrant families that gave so much for their family. They worked hard. They, they did everything they could. Like, I mean, just look at the lengths that we go to for our families. I mean, look at it in your own life, but you can look at it in other people's lives. You know, I know sometimes we sit around the family table and start talking and how crazy that those people are doing that sort of stuff for their family. You know, it's almost illogical what some of the things that we do for our family. But, like, but we do it because it's family. Because we love them and we cherish them and we'll do anything. So I guess the question is then, like, how much are we willing to sacrifice for our church family? Like, maybe there shouldn't be this sort of disparity between that. You know, I remember reading in my church history books that, you know, one of the um, first century writers, you know, they wrote, they were writing about the church and he said they gave more in their church families. Like, essentially the quote, I can't remember exactly, but this idea that they treated their church family as more important than their physical, like, earthly families because of the bond and because of the love and the life that they share together. And I think, and not saying that it's wrong to like give and sacrifice for our, our families, but are we willing to put myself aside and sacrifice for our church family as well, recognising that that's what we're being part of? Recognising that selfishness is essentially what destroys relationships. Selfishness is what eats away at, at families, and it's no different within the church. See, when you think about Abraham, you also, and you think about sacrifice, your mind probably goes to the story of Abraham and Isaac. He gets called to sacrifice his son in Genesis 22. And at the start of the chapter, it says that God was testing Abraham in this. You know, I think... In many ways, sacrifice is a test of what we love and who we trust. You know, we sacrifice for our families because we love them. You know, you look at sacrifice, but like on the other side of the coin, it's love and it's generosity. It's, you know, that's what Jesus said, that, that love is linked to sacrifice. In John 15, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is saying is the greatest way that you can love is to sacrifice. That you can't separate the two. Greater love has no one than this, that we lay down our life for each other. So if we love each other, it means we lay down our lives for each other. And that's what God desires for his followers, that we love each other and that as we love one another, the world would see that we are his disciples. See, as Philip mentioned, next week we're looking at, at, at our first fruits, first fruits offering next week. And some of you are probably relatively new to our church and you're probably thinking, what is this? Maybe you haven't heard about it. It's a spiritual discipline that we have been, I guess, committed to as a church over the last, last couple of years. 
And, and I guess the first thing we never is that it's a sacrifice. It's a testing sacrifice. It's exactly what it was for the Israelites. If you look through the Bible and you, you look into what first fruits was, you know, God, God called the Israelites to give the first of their harvest. They would, you know, work all year, they would come to the harvest, and then within that first week, first few days, they were called to work, reap what they had sown, and then come and give it to God. And you, I don't know if you can imagine what that would have been like, because here's the thing, they, they didn't know how long that sacrifice, how, how long that harvest would be. They didn't know if it was going to be a good year or a bad year. They didn't know whether they'll be harvesting for the next few months or the next few days. They just knew that this is what we've got so far. This is what we're going to give and the rest is in God's hands. You know, they couldn't sort of sit down at the end of the harvest and go, okay, this is how much we've got. Uh, here's my 10%. And then, you know, do all the calculations and figure out, okay, we'll put this to our savings and then we can give this much. Like, it wasn't like that. It was this immediate thing of this is how much we've harvested the first few days. We've got to give. How much are we giving? And that was it. In fact, like, the only calculations they could make was pretty much based, this is what we got last year. Hey, look... The only calculations they could make, they could look back and see, okay, this is what God did last year. This is what God's done in the past. And therefore, I can give, let's give this much. They, didn't, they couldn't look to the future and go, okay, this is how much. It was the first fruits. And I was like, what if, what if that was us? That was less sort of calculated and sort of, okay, budgeted, okay, this is how much we can give. But actually, we just looked back and saw, you know what? God's provided in the past. He's given us everything we need. Let's give this much and the rest is in God's hands. That our first fruits was an offering of, of faith. You know, I know for myself, you know, I look at my life this year and I don't know how much I'm going to earn. Like I've got a few days here and then I've got some casual work and I could get a lot of hours. I could get not that many hours. And so... I would love to know exactly what I'm going to give and then just give an amount of that, knowing that, okay, I can live happily with this and do all the things that I want. But it's a sacrifice that I've got to go, you know what, I don't know exactly what's coming, but I know that over the last number of years, God has always given me enough work and enough provision to do the things that I want and need. I'm going to give generously to Him. So I'll just encourage us this morning, like Phil said, that this week, that you'd pray about it, you'd think about it, you'd look back on your life and go, you know what, this is what I'm going to give. And that would be a sacrifice, that would be our you know, initial thing, and yeah, it's going to be hard, but it's a discipline that we want to commit to, and we go, you know what, God has provided, He's never failed us, and He won't start now. And in the big picture, I don't know, the Johns might not like me for saying this, but I don't think it's about money. In the end, like, okay, it might indicate something, but, you know, if we get 5,000, if we get 50,000, like, I don't know. I don't think that's the main issue. The main issue is whether being faithful to God with what we have. And if we can honestly say, you know what, we've prayed about this, we've considered this, this is how much we're giving then 
that's great. God doesn't sort of give you a pat on the back for the amount that you give, but he gives you, you know, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, like I said, I just encourage us all to pray about it, think about it, to assess where our hearts are at and to give from there. And in the end, this is where the rich young ruler comes in. You're probably thinking, where we, when are we getting to that? Because here's the thing, rich young ruler, he wasn't willing to sacrifice. He's, he's a young man, but his heart's not in the right place. You know, in, in, in the context of the time, in the Jewish mind at the time, this guy had it all together. He says, I've, I've kept the law from a young age. He's done all the right things. He's wealthy and he's young and he's got power, which means that he's followed God and he's been blessed. That's, that's the mind of the time that says, okay, if he's young and he's done all the right things, then obviously he's been blessed because he's done it all. God has blessed him because he's ticked all the boxes. He's followed God. Jesus radically redefines that within the Gospels, but we don't have time to get into all that. But in the end, he's not willing to part with what he has. We don't exactly know why, but there's a sense that maybe he feels like he's earned this. Maybe he feels like, you know what, I've done the right things and this is what God's given me and I'm not willing to give, give it away. Because yeah, he, he comes to Jesus and says, what does it take? How do I get into this kingdom? How do I inherit eternal life? Like he wants to be in it, but... When Jesus puts the, you know, the line in the sand sort of thing, he goes, uh, maybe not. I mean, compare this to, um, to Job. Uh, you think about Job. Job, it says in the start of Job that he was you know, the greatest man in the East. The devil comes to God and says that you know, you've put a hedge around him. That's why he follows you. And so God goes, okay, you can, you can take it. You know, essentially Job was, was blessed, just like this rich young ruler. He had everything. And, you know, for Job, the first thing that the devil takes away is his oxen, his cattle, and his sheep, his possessions. Not only his possessions, but it says in Job that he had a daily custom. He had a daily custom where he would go and he would sacrifice a burnt offering just in case his kids had sinned. Like, not because he had to, but like, just in case someone did something that he didn't know about, he would go and say, the first thing that the devil takes away is his worship and his sacrifice. And it's a little side note, but I think it's important because I think I look in my life and you go, what? When I think when I'm under stress, when I'm busy, when I start to take my eyes off God, when I feel under attack, the first thing to go is my sacrifice and my devotion and my worship. And I think it's something you need to be aware of, that actually that is so often where the devil will look to get a foothold is in our sacrifice. But you look at Job and, you know, he loses everything that he has. Obviously not by choice, but I love his reaction where he says that God, God gives, God takes away. Still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Like what if that was the heart of the rich young ruler? where he would go, you know what, God's given it. If God's asked for it and he takes it away, it's his. Everything I have is his. Still I say, blessed be the name. 
But the rich young ruler, his heart wasn't there. And Jesus actually lets him walk away. Even though from the outside, he looks like a perfect fit for the family. He looks like a perfect fit. He's got it all together. On the inside, there's this sense that he's not willing to sacrifice for Jesus. And Jesus lets him walk away. And then Jesus starts looking around and he addresses the crowd. And he says, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And in case they didn't hear it because they were shocked, he says it again. How difficult it is. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, I think the verses are on the screen and, you know, we need to hear this. We need to, like, know this. Because, like, we're rich in many ways. In the context of the world, we, we're pretty well off. And we need to know that our riches, our lifestyle, our comfort can actually make it difficult for us to follow God. Like, that's not just my thoughts. That, like, that's what Jesus says, how difficult it is. And so the crowd, like you, <laughs> exceedingly astonished, shocked. What are you talking about? I don't like that. Stop it. Jesus is flipping everything on its head. You know, for them, the rich were the blessed ones. And now Jesus is saying it's difficult for these people who have done everything right. It's difficult for them to enter the kingdom of God. And so they look at Jesus and say, who then can be saved? Like, this young man had done everything from a young age. And yet you're saying he can't enter. Who then can be saved? And Jesus turns to them and says, what's impossible with man is possible with God. That in the end we need to remind ourselves that actually God's the one that saves us. God's the one that changes us. God's the one that provides and he transforms. And he's the one who is worthy of us giving everything for. And that God will do the impossible. I mean, look at Abraham. 100 years old, no son, and yet he's been promised that you're going to be a father of many. And God makes him into a mighty nation. I mean, even just look at, go from Abraham and then follow the family tree down a little bit. Like, read through Genesis and through, you know, the Old Testament. His family's a mess. Like, some of the things that his family do, you go, how the heck did God stay with them? <laughs> Yet God continues to use his family to bring light to the world. It's a mess. It's broken family after broken family after broken family. There's so many wrongs, and yet the tree continues all the way to Jesus. His Savior comes, and then it continues now through to us. Like, if you just think about it, like, it's impossible to write that script and to figure out, you know, okay, these are the people that are going to carry my message and my light to the nations. And yet, here we are. 
that the family of God will grow and flourish even when it seems impossible. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. God will work. God will save. And then I love Peter's response. Where he sort of looks at Jesus and goes, we've left everything to follow you. Like we've left every, like it's almost like we've left everything to follow you. Now what? You're letting people walk away. You said we'll build. You said you were building a church, a community, and now you're letting people just walk away. You know we've left everything to follow you, and we're not going to be blessed like this man. Like we're not going to. We've left everything. Maybe some of you feel that. You know, maybe some of you have been part of this family for a long time, not just like this family, but like God's family, and. Maybe you felt like, you know what, I've been given a lot. I've been sacrificing a lot and I'm not seeing it coming together. You need to hear what Jesus says and we need to hear his response. You know, I love this quote from Tim Keller that says, Jesus asks for far more than you ever thought, but he offers far more than you've ever imagined. If you look at the Gospels, Jesus asks for a lot, but he offers far more. And so what does he offer? What does he respond to the crowd and to Peter? He says, you will receive a hundred times as much. Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, lands, along with them persecutions. And in the age to come, you'll receive eternal life so there's a reward coming in heaven eternal life and it's far greater than anything we've left behind it's far greater than anything we can imagine and we need to hold on to that hope and we can talk about that more i'm sure one day but there's also a a reward given on earth (laughs) that jesus says in this present age you will receive a hundred times as much brothers sisters Mothers, fathers. That the reward that we get for leaving everything behind and following Jesus is the church. It's a family. I mean, look around. See your reward. (laughs) Like literally, look around. Have Have a look. Some of you are thinking fantastic. Some of you are thinking, uh oh. Is this it? See, church family is never easy. It takes sacrifice, but I believe it's always worth it. See, when you look around, my hope and my prayer is that you wouldn't just see, like, just a single person or someone that, you know, has sort of done wrong by you at least one time or someone that doesn't quite, you don't quite connect with that well. But actually, that as we look around, we see people and we see their story. You know, we see where they've come from. We see what, how they've grown. We've seen, you know, lonely people receive community. We've seen hurt people being cared for. And we see people whose gifts are now being used. And we see people whose lives are being changed and transformed. And, we, you know, we see that actually, you know what? When I look at this person, I see what God's doing. And I see that God has saved them and changed them. And what a privilege it is to be part of that.
as a family. So may we continue to grow and flourish as a family that God wants us to be. And that as we do that, we become the reward for each other. We become not only that, but we become a light into the world. And so here we are, further down the tree, from Abraham all the way through to Christ, through to us. We need to recognize that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. That being part of the church family means it's more than just me. In a One Hope context, it means that we're here to serve one another. That it takes effort and sacrifice and giving and serving. But it also means care and encouragement and support and celebration and mourning together and loving one another, forgiving one another, being generous towards one another. That these will be things we don't just give but we also receive. Now we talked about this at youth the other night. We talked about that verse in John, you know, that we lay down our lives for one another. We love one each other. And it's like, you know, I remember saying, we were sitting here, how cool would it be if you came into this place knowing that, you know, there's 20, or in this case, you know, there's 100, 150 people that genuinely are ready to lay down their lives to love you. Like, that's what the church community should be. That actually I know that when I come here and that as we live our lives together, that I know that people are willing to sacrifice themselves to love me and that I'm willing to do that for them that's a beautiful thought but we need to pray that God would lead us in that that God would help us to love one another and pray that God would help us to show us what that looks like so we need to see that we're part of something bigger not just in a one hope context but also in a global context, that we're part of a big church family across the whole world. That we're part of churches in this denomination and in this city and in this country and that we need to look at how can we work together with them? How can we support them? We can never lose sight of that because otherwise we just become this insular little church that just focuses inwards that we need to see that actually we're part of something much bigger. And not only that, but we're a part of a church on an eternal scale. That God has built his people all throughout history. And he will continue to do so for the rest of history and the rest of eternity. And that as he's done that, he's proved himself to be good and loving and faithful. And that's what now we are in. And that's what... The writer of Hebrews writes, and this is where we'll finish up. See, the writer of Hebrews spends chapter 11 outlining heroes of faith. He talks about Abraham and Isaac, and he starts getting a fair way through, and he goes, I don't have time to talk about the rest. Because there's thousands of years that he's talking about. People who have lived and followed God, and God has proved himself faithful to them. And then he writes in chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, Very quickly, we need to recognize that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That there are people who have gone before for many years who can testify to the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and the love of God. I would encourage you later today, read through Hebrews 11. Just read the stories. Or read the names and then go read the rest of their stories in the Bible. And just see what God did. That as we see that we are part of this church family and we know and read the stories, we would read that and we wouldn't lose hope. But instead we would be filled with expectation and we would be filled with everything that we need to run the race with perseverance. Throwing off the sin that entangles. Throwing off the pride and the independence, the selfishness. Throwing these things off and then running our race as God's family. Running our race. We need to continue to look at what does that mean for us as a church to run our race. What does that look like as we throw off the sin and we run our race. And as we do that, may we look to Jesus. And I love what it says about him. That he, for the joy set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? We know that Jesus died, one, for the glory of his Father, that he, to be obedient to God's will, but also to redeem God's children. That the joy set before Jesus was the family reunited under the glory of God. That that's what he saw, and that's what he endured the cross for knowing that it's worth the sacrifice, knowing that you know, as he gives his life, that it was going to be worth it because then he would be seated at the right hand of God and he would see the family together once again. And that's what we experience in part now and we experience in whole, in eternity. And so our struggles, our sacrifices, may we endure them. May we run the race that we've been called to because we see this family as a joy, as a reward, as something good and worth it. And that we see God's glory as worthy of being lived for and worthy of falling in every aspect of our lives. Let me pray.